podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. I'm going to jump in. Well, before we jump into the Word, we're going to be in Matthew 24 and then in Isaiah 2. But I want to do just a little bit. I had a more extensive preliminary, but Pastor Jade did such a great job just a few minutes ago that I'm just going to breeze through because I know that many of us in the room, or for many of us in the room, Advent is a very new thing. And even if it's not, for me, Advent is four or five years of a rhythm in our family, but I'm still very much learning how to participate with Advent. As someone who grew up in uh, Pentecostal evangelical churches, we did not talk about Advent, we did not participate with Advent. Um, and so this is a very new thing to me. So I want to walk through just very briefly what it is and then spend a little bit more time on how and why we should participate with Advent. So number one, what does it mean? Advent, the word, means coming. And it is the time in the Christian faith where it's technically the, the Christian New Year. I believe Aaron said that at the beginning. But it's the time when we anticipate the second coming of Christ and we also celebrate the first coming of Christ as we lead up to Christmas. So essentially, it is a four-week season that prepares us for Christmas, but not only prepares us for Christmas. It prepares us for life as a Christian because life as a Christian is lived in Advent. It is between the two comings of Jesus. Jesus has come. He has inaugurated his kingdom, but his kingdom is not consummated. It is not here in its fullness as it one day will be. So we live in this tension. We live in this middle space, the dawning of a new age. And Advent is the season in the Christian year that helps us to learn how really to live the rest of the year as Christians. So how do we live in this space where we know that Christ has come and that he has made things different for us, but there is still darkness and there is still evil. There is still brokenness. And as Christians, we have to learn how to be the flicker of light in darkness. Um, so why do we participate in Advent? And I've got five things here. I'm going to breeze through them because they're the same five things that I read last year at the opening message of Advent that I'm sure all of you know and have meditated on many, many times throughout the year. That was definitely a joke. Um, number one, why participate in Advent? Number one is to, to prepare our hearts to live between Christ's two comings, his birth and the second coming. And this is what I, I just mentioned uh, all of our lives are lived in remembrance of Christ's first coming and in anticipation of his return. And this is a unique thing. I mean, really, it, people who aren't Christians, they don't, they don't have this. They live in the world as they know it, and the world is what they see. But as Christians, we know that God is working 
in many ways that we cannot see and that we are unaware of. And we know that he has promised that Christ will come again and make all things new. And we believe that that's part of being a Christian. So we live in this space where we do see a reality, but there is also a reality that we know in our hearts, our minds, and in our spirits to be true. And we are praying and waiting for that to come. So we participate with Advent to prepare our hearts to live in that place. Number two, to learn to actively wait on God. That there is a distinction between waiting as we would in a King Supers line, where if we could, we would just, we do everything that we can in life. I know that I do, maybe not all of you, to avoid waiting for anything. I mean, there are apps to avoid all, we have just discovered the Walmart grocery app. We used to use it with King Supers on occasion, but they charge five bucks. And it's like, why? I guess maybe my hour and a half worth of time walking around in the store would have been worth $5. But now Walmart is free. So they have, there are apps for everything, for traveling through the airport. There are apps to avoid waiting. And there are certain kinds of waiting that it is just a waste of time. But... This is not that kind of waiting. This is active waiting where we believe that God is doing something that we can't see. And as Christians, our job is to actively wait, to pray, to watch, watch and pray. So many times Christ tells us, watch and pray, watch and pray. And we're gonna jump into that in Matthew 24 in just a minute. But we need to learn to actively wait on God. Number three, to look for and anticipate God revealed in everyday life. So there are three advents. There is the advent of, or there are three comings, I'm sorry. And advent does mean coming, so there are three advents. But there was the coming of Christ in Christmas. Then there is the second coming, which, oh my gosh, Alyssa, you are amazing. Look at that. Number three was uh, to look for and anticipate. I didn't realize she was doing this. God revealed in everyday life, fantastic. There, the second coming is the one that we anticipate, but then there is the coming of Christ to us in our everyday lives where we know he is present and we know he is at work, but only sometimes we see it breakthrough. We see these moments where heaven seems to break into our present reality and that sometimes is definitively Christ at work. And we say, wow, God was in this. God turned this around. God revealed himself to me or to my neighbor, to my friend in this way. So we are learning to look for the ways that God is revealed to us in everyday life. Number four, to be immersed in the big picture story of God, first by looking ahead and then looking backwards. This is one of the things that as Antioch, we have embraced more and more over the last couple of years recognizing that there is a part of the Christian faith that is valuable, retrieving from the tradition, retrieving from the faith of our fathers, retrieving from the entirety of scripture and being immersed in the whole story of God because it doesn't start and end with us that we are a small blip on the radar of God's story and what he has done and what he is doing in the future. So this is a time where we start by looking forward and then in the coming weeks, we will then look backwards as we approach Christmas season. And then number five, to highlight the way that we live in Advent every day, waiting, hoping, longing, anticipating. We live in pain. 
We live in patience and we wait for God to act. That Advent is not just something that is four weeks out of the year, but as I've already said, Advent is probably the season in the Christian life that is most like everyday life for Christians. And so if we can learn to do these things faithfully, to wait, to long, to pray, to live in pain, to live in the midst of darkness, but to do it in a faithful way that trusts that God is at work and that God is who he says he is, which means that he is acting on those things, then we will be faithful Christians. So those are, those are the five reasons. Hopefully now you're all convinced. Um, one thing I failed to say, and I think I said this last week, that there would be Advent devotionals. That is one very practical, tangible way we can participate with the season. But the weather that we had on Monday and Tuesday delayed them. So they'll be here tomorrow, which is very unfortunate because that means you'll have to get them a week late. So next week we will have Advent devotionals free for, for you in the back. Um, so let's turn our eyes to Scripture for a few minutes, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read verses 36 to 44, which is a fairly short passage, and I want to set it up. This is a passage that many of us are familiar with, but really don't know what to do with. At least that was me up until a year or so ago when I started really diving into preaching in Advent. And it's an apocalyptic passage, which is really odd seeming as we approach Christmas. Like, shouldn't we be in Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 1? And we will get there. But as we approach Christmas, we have to look into the darkness to recognize why it was such a big deal that Christ came to begin with. Especially as, on the whole, very privileged Western people who once again, on the whole, have the means to get the things that we need in life. It's very easy for us to essentially be our own savior. Something that we need, we go to the store and we buy it. We order it on Amazon. We hit one of those apps that avoids waiting in lines and we make things happen for ourselves. And I'm not condemning that. I just want us to recognize that there need to be times when we look and say, man, this is broken. That there is real pain, there is real difficulty, that there are people in Albania who can't do what we can do and just make a new life for themselves with the opportunities that we have. So we look into the darkness as a way of appreciating and really entering into the light. So there is this passage where the disciples are asking Jesus about his coming again, but also they recognize that Jesus has prophesied about the destruction of the temple. So they kind of wrap two questions into one and they say, Jesus, when is all this going to happen? And Jesus responds first by talking about the destruction of the temple. And then Jesus moves without really distinguishing what he's talking about into talking about the second coming. And so Jesus says in Matthew 24, uh, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's important language. That is how it will be at the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. 
One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have left his house or would not have left his house to be broken into, sorry. So also, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. How many of you have heard this passage preached before? It's real exciting, isn't it? Be afraid, be very afraid. No, So many of us, if you grew up in certain traditions, grew up with uh, dispensational left behind theology. And I think the last two years I've preached the first week of Advent and I've had similar passages each year. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about all of the context and all of this, but there is a key here in this Matthew passage that is not found in Mark or Luke. And that is this reference to Noah. And it seems really odd and out of place to draw Noah into this passage, but it's important for us in light of the left behind theology, which says that we don't want to be the ones left behind. We want to be the ones that are taken away, right? That's what the movies are about. The movie, A Thief in the Night, the books about left behind. And Matthew's point in this passage is precisely the opposite. Matthew's point is that we want to be left behind, that we don't, that the evil ones are the ones that are taken away and the righteous ones are the ones that are left behind, right? That's what happened in the story of Noah. And the reason that this matters, it's not just a fun biblical fact, but the reason that this matters is because the theology that drives rapture theology is an escapist theology that says God wants to withdraw from the world because it's too dark, it's beyond hope, it's beyond repair, it's beyond redemption and restoration. But if we know anything about the way that God works throughout history, it's that God refuses to give up on anything. That God is the most persistent being that has, God defines persistence, that God defines faithfulness, that God defines long suffering and perseverance because he's like dealing with us, (laughs) right? So this idea that that the Noah story brings to this passage is that there will be two working and one will be swept away in the language of the flood. Well, what happens to the other one? The other one is left with added responsibility to continue working with God in his plan to restore and redeem the world. And I want to appeal to you that this is us, that this is what, this is not the TV show, but this, <laughs> but this is, this is what we are called to. This is what we should be thinking when it comes to the way that we live now, but also what we anticipate in the future. That we know God is coming, but he's not coming to withdraw us from all of the mess that is around us. He's coming to partner with us in a new way in restoring all that is wrong and broken in the world and making it to look like him. Amen? I just, well, I don't know what to do with that, Miss Val. (laughs) Yeah. So 
so life, there is this uh, language in here also about marrying and eating and drinking. And I want to be really clear what Matthew, I think I can speak for him fairly clearly on this. He and I had a talk this week. <laughs> that Matthew is not condemning normal life activities, life as usual, as we might say. What Matthew is condemning is doing life as usual with no awareness that God is at work doing something in life as usual. That God is doing something beyond and greater than in the midst of life as usual. So for any of you who might be radical personalities that leave and want to just quit doing all of our responsibilities and just go get people saved, yeah, go be witnesses to Christ. But he's not condemning doing things like going to weddings and eating and cleaning your house and taking your kids to school. He's condemning doing those things with no awareness of the way that God is at work in the midst of them. So God's mission is not about evacuating and abandoning, but about inhabiting and redeeming. Jesus is calling people to be awake to his ultimate return, but to be faithfully looking for his work to inhabit and restore in the middle of a dark world. Advent is about faithful preparation and anticipation when it seems foolish, given the present reality. I was doing a little bit of thinking, and <laughs> I did a lot of bit of thinking in preparing, okay? So, but I did a little bit of thinking about this. I started thinking about Noah and just how foolish he seemed to the people around him, you know? And I think sometimes we, we might fall into being so common sense driven in the kingdom that there is no part of foolishness that we want to participate with. And, and, and I have to be very clear here that there are ways that we should be foolish and ways that we should not be foolish. But there are ways that if we are faithful to the kingdom will be so contrary to the culture around us that we will be foolish. I mean, one of the things we're doing right now we're gathering to sit and listen to someone talk about a very ancient book and try and make it applicable to your lives today. On the surface, that's foolish. But we believe that Christ is at work in it and that his spirit is at work in us, revealing Christ within us so that we can be the light of the world. Think about this. Noah was foolish building the ark. Abraham was foolish leaving all that he knew to follow a God no one had ever seen before. Moses was foolish to conf confront Pharaoh. I mean, we, we don't realize just how dominating a figure Pharaoh is. Moses was seriously foolish in believing God to do that, right? Jeremiah was foolish preaching to those he knew were not going to listen. Jesus was foolish in allowing the powers that be to wrongly prosecute and eventually kill him. The list goes on and on. I mean, I just picked some of the, the highlight ones that I thought we would all know. But there is a way of faithfully following God that is going to require us to be building boats when the people around us are like, what is rain? And that is part of how we approach Christmas and how we participate with the Advent season. That we believe that, yes, there is darkness. Yes, we acknowledge it. But we also have a hope that believes that God is doing something in the darkness that no thing or no one is capable of doing. That God is at work in the rubble immediately making something beautiful. 
Thank you, baby. <clears throat> mm, now I can keep going, y'all. Uh, that's inspiration. Thank you. So we are called to be foolish in this way, to live as witnesses to a God that we know but have never seen, and to live in ways that witness to his character in a world that is bent towards sin, evil, darkness, and destruction. Following the passage that we read, it, there is a long discourse there where Jesus is talking for a really long time. If your Bible is a red letter Bible, you'll see it's it's about three or four pages of red letters. And immediately following what we stopped reading, there are four parables about being prepared for the second coming. And all four parables highlight being watchful and being faithful. That there is, that what we are longing for is not an abdication of responsibility, but a being faithful with what we have been called to in the meantime. And that's what I meant by actively waiting in the beginning. So what does it look like when God's kingdom is revealed? What is the vision that we should be seeking to participate with in the meantime? And I'm going to answer my own question. It's a rhetorical question, of course. One of the places we can find this is in Isaiah chapter 2. So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. We are coming toward the end here of our uh, opening Advent message, but this is just such a beautiful passage. We're going to read the first five verses together. And I want to set the context as usual here for Isaiah chapter 2. So Isaiah chapter 1 starts with Isaiah, son of Amos, had a vision. And he goes on and he paints this vision. And it t there are three kings listed there of, he says, Isaiah, son of Amos, had a vision of Jerusalem and Judea in the time of, and he lists these three kings. And what he, can, what he goes on to say is to paint the picture of how Israel has been so unfaithful that they have participated in violence, that they have rebelled, that they have, that's one of the many passages where they're being chastised for, I don't want your offerings, I want your hearts. I want you to participate with the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. And then the beginning of chapter two has the same language. And it says, this is what Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. But verse two begins with in the last days. So there is this, con there's a, a, a contradiction here where Isaiah is purposely painting two different pictures. Chapter one is the picture of reality. Chapter one is the picture of Jerusalem as it was in his day. In chapter two, he's writing in the same time, but he's prophesying to them and he's speaking, this is the vision that God has for you. It's almost some of the commentators say that the first chapter is Isaiah's vision and the second chapter is God's vision. It's almost a redo. It's like, this is what you see, Israel. This, these are the ways that you've gotten yourself into this mess. But behold, God is doing a new thing. And in chapter two, he paints a picture of what that new thing is. So let's read together. We'll start in verse two. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. And of course, he's speaking metaphorically here because even in Israel, Mount Zion in Jerusalem is not the tallest mountain. It's hardly a mountain from what we would call. So he's speaking metaphorically here that Jerusalem, that the center, the dwelling place of God's presence will be exalted. Many people will come and say, come, 
Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I think that verse five is really one of the best verses in all of scripture to sum up the spirit of Advent. Here is the picture of what God is doing and of what one day will be true. Come now and let us walk in the light of that truth. In the midst of the darkness that we didn't take time to read, but if you want to read about the darkness, read chapter one and read about what Israel was actually living in. And then he paints this picture in chapter two and says, now come, let's live in light of this truth. And this is the spirit of Advent. This is what we are called to do, to look at the darkness outside, to name it, and to live as if we know for a fact that God is doing something about it and that he eventually will come and finish and everything will be in line and in light of his kingdom on the earth. A couple of verses here I want to highlight this swords into plowshares. There's a, a U2 song about this. There are many poems. There is uh, actually, I, I read in, where is it? European... Anyways, <clears throat> United Nations, that's where it is. In the United Nations, there is a, a statue, a monument of a man beating a sword into plowshares right in front of United Nations headquarters in Europe. And I think sometimes we read this verse and we think, we immediately, even subconsciously, we think, man, that's awesome. There's, that's impossible right now. And there is a way in which it is kind of impossible. But there is also a way in which we are called now to live in the light of the truth that when God is ruling and reigning, that there will be no need for war because there will be no division among us at all. When God is the one that is the arbiter between peoples, between nations, between even brothers and sisters, as it says other times in scripture, that there will be no more division, that there will be no need for violence at all. But what I find so interesting is the word that is used for this action. And the author in the NIV says to beat the pl their swords into plowshares. And I get this image of turning violence in on itself that using violence to turn the instruments of violence into instruments that cultivate life, that the things that divide us now, we are called to work against those things with the same intensity that they work to divide, to, to cultivate life and to restore union and order and love and harmony among peoples, among nations, among groups, between churches. Amen? <laughs> We need that as much as anything in this country. And I had this image of turning something that had been used for utter destruction into something that is purely used to cultivate life for ourselves and for one another. 
And I think, I think that's what Isaiah is getting at here, that we in evil and in darkness have not known what to do. And so humanity has been at war with each other since the beginning, since Cain and Abel. And when we have division, we don't know what to do and we take up arms and we are violent with one another. But we as Christians are called to restore unity and union and work now, to work now toward things that cultivate life for the people around us. Not just for ourselves, but for those who are near us. So then verse five, wrapping up, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. We're called to live into the future that Isaiah pictures for us. We work and we pray while we wait. Carry this light in the midst of great darkness. This is the Advent theme, that darkness is all around us. But we, church, have seen a great light. Live awake, live faithful to what you have seen in the light and wait patiently and wait faithfully for God is not coming to absolve us of responsibility, but to empower us with greater responsibility to usher in his kingdom even now. So I would like to invite our table attendants to come and Aaron, I saw you move. Would you mind coming and playing this morning for me? As I was meditating on what it is here that we do as we come to the table, I thought one of the questions I had early on when I started studying the Eucharist and Holy Communion was it sure seems like in scripture that when Jesus and when Paul refer to this meal, it's an actual meal. <laughs> like what a letdown this little piece of cracker is, <laughs> you know? Okay, honestly, how many of you have ever had the thought before? I know, okay, I'm the only one, but I'm sometimes I'm so hungry and I'm like, golly, this is such a letdown. This little piece of bread, of really dry bread and this little cup of 10 milliliters of grape juice. And then it hit me that this meal is a foretaste, that this, this is not the meal. This is the meal here and now that is the foretaste of the meal, like the meal of all meals when Christ returns and we are with all of our brothers and sisters from eternity past and future and all of the saints are gathered around the table with Christ and we are eating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a testimony to that meal that is coming in the future. So there is a way in which we should be left wanting that yes, we trust that when we come, that we do by the power of the Spirit encounter Christ and that he is nourishing us. But it is also true that we are meant to come and say, God, this is, this is some, but man, I'm just longing for more. I just need more. And that is meant to stir in us this desire for Christ to return and for his kingdom to culminate here among us. So as we come today, I'd like to encourage you to on some level be dissatisfied. Come and eat this little cracker and be grateful for the daily bread where God, where Christ nourishes us as we come to the table and as we remember his sacrifice. But this morning, I also want us to look ahead to the future and say, God, I trust that you are at work in this little bread now. 
but there is coming a day when you are gonna be so revealed that we see you darkly in this, as Paul would say it. But there's gonna come a day when we see Christ revealed in all of his glory. We shall see him like he is. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would make this bread and juice efficacious to us. Make it what Christ says it is, nourishment to our spirits and to our bodies. And as we come, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in us a holy discontent, a longing for the future when all wrongs will be made right. So church, I would ask the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.